Newtown is a special African-American community. With special people. Most of the early arrivals came to Sarasota looking to better their lives. An indomitable spirit emerged out of their struggle, and a strong faith ushered them through many challenges. The Newtown Alive Project recorded oral history interviews to preserve community history and pride. I'm Vicki Oldham. Betty Johnson, that is your name. When were you born? 43. Okay, and who were your parents? My parents are Mrs. and Mrs. Saul Johnson. My mother's name is Blanche Johnson. And where were they from? They were born in what was known as West Florida, but Quincy, Florida is the name, Quincy, Florida. They left Quincy and came to Sarasota. Do you remember why? Well, my father came to Sarasota as a young teenager, and he came here to find work. And in those days, you grow up real fast, and so you want to get leave home. So he came to Sarasota to find work. He met my mother here. She said she knew of them, but uh, she had not really met that family. So she met him here in Sarasota. Where did your father work? My father worked when he first came to Sarasota at what was called the Dolomite plant. And that plant was up on 301. The curve is somewhat still there, 301 and um, just before you get to Talavas, up in that area. Did your mom work? She worked as a domestic housekeeper for a little while. Tell me more about their interaction in um, in this community that uh, you were born in, Newtown. What do you? What's your fondest memory? Do you have a fond memory, a, a fun memory, maybe, of growing up in Newtown? Oh, uh, yes, yes. My father worked the Dolomite, as I said, and then he worked in the orange groves. He picked oranges. But then his later life was he worked construction, and he worked for George Higgins Construction Company. And the fun memory I have of my father is and he was, that construction company was responsible for laying the water lines in Newtown. So my father is instrumental in the, the piping that brought the water into Newtown. And that those are my fun memories of him in the construction business. But he traveled a lot in the, the business too from, they did construction work all over. So. My father was more or less, had spent a lot of time down in the Miami area, laying pipes, the water lines, and mm -hmm. so forth. What did Newtown look like um, as you were growing up? Can you describe it for those of us who were not there? Well, <laughs> I didn't see the Osprey Avenue as it was described to me because I grew up in what was called the Projects. But the stories that were given to me was, you know, the, the project was the low-income housing at that time, you could say. And people moved into the projects from Osprey Avenue after Newtown had begun, and they would move into the project into better housings. But 
my thing is that the project was like a stepping stone to move up. People didn't take the project as a permanent home. They always were looking for better places. So not like what it is today. When you moved into the project, you was expected to move out the project into your own. So I grew up with this concept that the project was just a stepping stone. The project we grew, we all grew up together. Everybody knew each other, and, and I consider it after as a village, growing up in a village, mm-hmm. uh, because now when I was in the project, the projects that's on Twenty First and Orange. Yes, the Orange Avenue project was the only projects that were there when I was growing up. And then I think it was in the 50s, late, uh, early 50s, that they added what was called the new project. And they started the projects moved from what we call the new project on to 21st Street. And I think the last section of that project is off of Osprey Avenue. That, so that project, it grew, the uh, projects grew. So that's what I remember of the housing projects. So it sounds like there was, say, a village within the village. You know, Newtown was a village right. kind of separate and apart from the main part of Sarasota. And then there was the projects, which was within Newtown. Mm-hmm. And there you all had your own kind of uh, community, right. which was tight. Now, I'm understanding that Newtown was tight, too. Did you venture outside of the projects? Oh, yes, we did. Uh, actually, we when we journeyed to school, we had to leave projects go to school. Most of us attended church in Newtown. That is after the people started moving out from Overtown into Newtown. Churches moved too. Yeah. What church did you attend? I attended Greater Hearst Chapel AME Church. Oh, talk about that church history and what and uh, some of the things that you participated in at church. Well, my memory of Hearst Chapel Church was like we were like a beacon church and we were like the of the community gathering place because all of the meetings that took place, they had no other place to go. Uh, community civic meetings, like they were held at Greater Hearst Chapel. Greater Hearst Chapel is known for the school segregation when they closed Booker, mm-hmm. and Hearst Chapel became a school that school that they were protesting. So Hearst Chapel doors were open and. That's where uh, teachers and, and, and black students came to learn while they were during the upheaval. Right. Ah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Were there no other churches in town? Yes, uh, there were other churches involved. I believe Truvan was involved. I'm not sure about New Belt, but I know Truvan and Hirsch Chapel were two of the churches that were involved with that school, kids going to school. During the protest, I would say. Okay. Did you, were you a student that had to be educated in the church while the... I was out. I graduated in 61, so the protest came after we graduated and after Booker was closed. Okay. We got to talk about Booker and just your teachers and what they instilled in you and what was it like being a Booker student? My teachers, as I say, we grew up in the price, so we was in that first phase of Booker elementary school where we all were in the, the barracks and we we called when we graduated we crossed the ditch <laughs> we crossed the ditch to high school but we were all in that Booker complex uh, my first grade teacher was Eunice Roberts she was Eunice Dumbag at the time and she got married she was Eunice Roberts Prevail Barbara was one of my teachers 
And I must say, Miss Barbara was, she always wanted me to participate in plays. And she, I guess she saw the fact that I, I liked reading. So she would always have me doing something that involved reading. I guess she was instrumental in my being an avid reader because I always read, I always had to read something in her class or around her. Where did this come from? Um, did it develop at home, this interest, this thirst for reading? I, I would say home and, and, and like I said, mm-hmm. and in being part of Mrs. Barber's class and reading, I, I just like reading. And the fact of it is, is when I read, I, would, I could travel. Reading, I could travel from place to, from country to country. I mean, you enjoy reading and traveling, so I just enjoyed reading. We didn't have TV till later on, and we had the radio. So you listen to the radio and then listen to the stories on the radio, and then the TVs came along. So there was nothing much more for you to do but read. So I just was one of those kids that liked to read. I think it's really interesting that you would transition into library sciences because you love to read, but there's some steps in between there. You know, after graduating from Booker, then you went on to where? School, college? I graduated from Booker. I attended Gibbs Junior College, and Gibbs Junior College is in St. Petersburg. And the reason we traveled to St. Petersburg because we were not allowed to attend Manatee Community College. So the school board provided us with the bus that took us to Gibbs. So that's what happened. But I guess... Deep down, library was supposed to be my calling. <laughs> uh, I didn't know it, but uh, it, it evidently came out because uh, my last year in high school, we had what was called um, library procedure classes. I did take those classes where we learned all about processing of books and how books were processed for, for the shelves in the library. And I was uh, more or less um, the last year in high school. I guess you would say I, I was a library page. Uh, but at that time, I was the li- I was I don't want to say I was the librarian, but I was more or less left in charge of the library for a while. Mm-hmm. And I, I had no intentions of going to be a librarian. But what happened was after we finished Gibbs and I was getting ready to, I didn't know what I was going to do. And like I told you, I always wanted to be a social worker. So I dare you again. I always like helping people to help themselves is something that I like doing. But when the job position came open at what was then Sarasota Public Library, it wasn't called Selby at that time. Having had the library procedure classes, the librarian there figured that I could handle the job, so she hired me at the library. I was not the first black there. Uh, there was one other person before me, but we just happened to be good friends. And when What the, was her name? Her name was Mary Thomas. And when, the, when she was hired, the story behind that was Mrs. Mary Emma Jones... She was instrumental in them hiring blacks at the library. Mm. And the first black hired there was Mary, Mary Thomas. Mm. She was hired. And then another position came open, and then I was hired. And it ended up that I was left there. Mary took another job, uh, and I was left there. 
so it for the longest I was the only black in the library you might say I see I liked what what I'm hearing too there was this cadre of leaders community leaders who identified where our challenge was or problem or an accommodation that uh, African Americans did not have and they used their influence like Mary Emma you say mm-hmm. uh, she was a business business owner she used her influence to push the library to hire African Americans you and Mrs. Jones right she well Ms. Miriam pushed a lot for the hiring of blacks really where here in Sarasota, and then... Well, other places, though. City Hall, in the city government, and so forth and so on. Yeah, she, yeah, she was really a, a troop of us. So it's no surprise that her son, Ed James, would come through and be doing the same thing. Right. No surprise. <laughs> what they say, fruit don't fall <laughs> Far from the tree, right. So you were a librarian. Did you notice that there was no library or there was limited access to the library by African-American kids? Well, the, yeah, well, then that's interesting, too, because I, I worked at the library and I worked what they would at that time call a split shift. But even at that, I noticed the blacks were not using the library. We were not... And that's mostly because we were not welcome in the library. Why do you say that? The library was not open to black people in those days. Was there a sign up that said no colored people, no No. Negro people? It was just the attitude of the people that worked in the library. The way they treated you when you came into the library, you you knew that you were not welcome in the library. And my first experience of that was I had to do a book report and um, I had to go to that library to get the book because we didn't have it at the book library. The, they did not allow you to go in the stacks, and that was what they called closed stacks, I suppose, but they were just closed to blacks. They weren't closed to everybody. The lady that was at the desk had to go down in the stacks to get the book for me. So that was my experience. But when I got started working there, those same people were there. Were they? <laughs> but um, being there and, and seeing that the blacks were not using the library, I always pondered, well, what can, you know, why do we not use the library? Why don't we? Eventually, there was a family that did start coming into the library, and I looked forward to seeing them come into the library, and they would come in every Friday. He would come to the library, and he would sit and read, and then on Friday evenings, he would bring his family into the library, and they would choose their books, and they would sit and read. It really, uh, I'm going, what can I do to get more blacks to come and use the library? I would say I pondered this for a number of years, but then... That's why I tell people this had to be divine because this was not something I did on my own. But I was getting ready to go to work. Like I said, I worked a split shift. This was a Thursday and I'll never forget it. I had this vision of a, a reading room. And so at this particular time, they were getting ready to purchase a new bookmobile. The divine was spoken to me to say, Go and ask for that old bookmobile and station that old bookmobile on this spot right here. Where we sit? Yes. And turn it into what is would be a reading room. It, it wouldn't move. It would be stationed, but it would be a reading room. 
And when I got to work that afternoon, I went in and asked the librarian, what about getting the old bookmobile and using it as a, a reading room, beginning of a library? And Mrs. Hopkins said to me, what would, where would you put it? And I said, I have a spot in Newtown, in the Newtown Estates, and we could put it there as a reading room. So she said, okay. So she called down to Mr. I think it was Maroney at the time that was the administrator. And she had a conversation with him about that. And the thing that came out was, well, the only problem is the bookmobile has been condemned so we can't use it anymore. We couldn't use it as even as a station because it had been condemned. So during this time, the Library Construction Act was, uh, this was a state project coming out of Tallahassee State Library. The Library Construction Act had grants going for uh, library services to what they were calling at that time disadvantaged. There is a grant that the library has, uh, that the state library has. Uh, let me look into the possibilities of us getting that grant. And she did, and we and from and she said, "Now, if I get the grant, will you be the coordinator of the outreach program? Will you you be in charge of it?" I say, "Yeah, I'll, I'll take it." So she did get the grant, and I became the outreach coordinator. the The thing of the grant was to establish a library or to show the feasibility. Uh, show the need for a library in the community where that grant was being used. Mm-hmm. The outreach program had five stops. We got the uh, program started. There were five stops in what Newtown and one down in Laurel. Where did you set up the outreach program in Newtown? It was not set up. It was we used the van. We had a outreach van. That van went to five stops, and the van was equipped with books on movable, movable carts so the kids could come in and select their books and take them home, or they could sit at the stop and read the books because we were always in a building. Uh, the first stop They was, could come in, inside the van and read? No, the books came off the van and went into a building. Oh, okay. The stops were Newtown Recreation Center, Robert Taylor. Uh, We had to stop at Orange Avenue Projects. We had to stop at Project Lane. And we had to stop at Laura. We tried to establish a stop here under the pavilion. And that one didn't work because there was no building here. So most of the kids were at Robert Taylor anyway. Mm -hmm. So even at that, the idea of the library, they did get to use it. And there was times when... We did outdoor movies here in this area. And this is what the outreach was all about, introducing the community to library services. So this is how we got started. With the idea of, out of this project, we would establish a library in this community. And that is when we started with the uh, first branch library. It was supposed to be the first branch library of Selby Library. But what happened was the county commissioners had to take it on as a branch. And at that time, they did not see feasible to take it 
to make it a branch of Selby Library. But the Newtown Storefront Library was established under that Library Construction Act. Even though the county didn't support it. Right. We were almost there. They were almost ready to take it on. And then we had the taxing situation that came about in the Longbow Key community and the library branch community taxing. They decided that taxing should go to the Longbow Key rather than to established branch library. So that's what happened with that. We didn't stop. The friends group kept working towards it, and then we kept that library open for about three or four years after we had started. So eventually, after I had shown Mrs. Hopkins this spot for the uh, portable library, obviously it took on because right after then, the county purchased this property. During that time that I was doing the outreach program, the county purchased this property. So I think someone... uh, divinely this was supposed to be here. Sure. Now what about those garden club ladies? Where did they figure into this story? You were telling me about some garden club ladies were meeting. That is the where the first self, what is called Sarasota Public Library came out of. Okay. The main library as yes. it is where it is yes. right now. Okay. Yes. Now I remember you BJ at that storefront at the corner of Palmadelia and MLK. What was that? No, that was at the corner of Maple. Maple, yes. Maple Avenue. What was that? That was the library established from the outreach program. So talk about the kids coming and and describe what was happening in that building. Well, the kids would come due to the fact that after the grant ran out and uh, I had to go back into the library because there were no more funds to pay my salary, but the library was still there. And we had to use volunteers to, like, keep it open. I was still overseeing it, but I had to go back in, like I said. The kids enjoyed coming in to the library. We had what was called arts and crafts on Saturdays, and they really liked the arts and crafts. I would have a room full of them on Saturdays. They would come for arts and crafts. So this is a way of getting them introduced to what was going on in the library. And I would occasionally do a, a story hour for them on Saturday mornings. Do you remember any of those kids, their names? Do you see them? I don't remember those kids other than my nephews. <laughs> <laughs> they would come, and my children, of course, was there because they were following their mother. But uh, <laughs> the kids from what was then Maple Manor's, Mm-hmm. Maple Manor across the sure. street would come. I would do the story out for the kids over at the Newtown. It was then Payne's Extension, I, I think it was. It was in the daycare center across the street. Okay. Was a, I think they call it an extension of Helen Payne. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. So I would do a story out for those kids during the week. So my thing was I would do story hours for the Head Start program. All of this was part of the outreach program. So this is, it sounds to me like this was really in here. You might not have known it when you were at Gibbs, but it was in here all the while, and it was, it's just amazing. Yeah, and my thing was, like I said, I believe in people helping themselves to better themselves, and my way of doing this is if they had a library here in Newtown and it was something that they could feel comfortable going to the library, mm-hmm. uh, the kids would catch on to using the library and 
This was a way of them helping themselves. This was a way of adults also helping themselves because I guess that idea of uh, self-education, you know, yeah. took a hold of me. And I just just believed if they had a library here, this would be the thing for them. The kids would learn to use the library so this they could take off the school. If they're going to school, they could take this with them. They know how to go into the library and use that library for resource. Mm-hmm. So this was my idea. This facility here, when it was built, how did you feel? Was it a dream come true? Hey, yeah. Well, the beginning of this was a dream because I, I, I just envisioned having a library here in Newtown. That, that was my dream, a full service library in Newtown. So this was a dream come true. And I must say, at the time that this building was built, the original friends group that we had, somebody else took on from the original friends group and continued the dream. And that group, under that group, this building did come to fruition. And that was under the leadership of Pauline Hodges and her group that the library really came into fruition. But it came into fruition from the groundwork that I had laid leading up to this. And then what is surprising to everybody is the fact that I had designated this spot. I had asked for that bookmobile to be put on this spot. You know, there was discussion, too, about... I'm remembering when I was a reporter here, whether it would be on one side of 301 or the other side of 301. Remember that? Mm-hmm. But evidently... This is where it was supposed to be. This is the spot. Let's wrap our conversation up, uh, BJ. So, you know, you're retired now. Looking back... The library is being used. I see all sorts of ages coming in and out. There's a cultural resource center with packed with history and memorabilia. What are you feeling when you come in here? <laughs> feeling that somebody is using it and it was not a dream that was a loss, but it was really something that was needed. And, and people are appreciating mm-hmm. that it is here. And and hopefully they are helping themselves to do better. Can you see it expanding? Because is it, does it need to grow more, get larger, expand? Uh, Yeah, it it, it probably does. And the most exciting thing about that is, is that there would be the cultural center here with history. That is very exciting because as I've told people, I never intended to be a, how should I say this, a black library, but a library with a collection of black history that everybody could use, that everybody could benefit from, a library that everybody could benefit from. So this is more or less what it is with that special collection here of black history. And and that's great. That's great. And for years to come, and I pray that it's still, it's still here, you can come in and research the history of Sarasota and this community, and it will be archived here at this library. That's very exciting to me. Thank you so much. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from the Division of Historical Resources at the Florida Department of State. 
visit newtownalive.org for more information on this episode and other projects.